Welcome to To Everything a Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year, a weekly devotional series based on readings relevant to the current liturgical season. While we usually broadcast our discussion live every Wednesday, during this Lenten season, we will instead broadcast a portion of the Lenten midweek services at St. Luke Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Ontario. We will resume our normal discussions during Holy Week. Thanks for tuning in, and we wish you a blessed Lenten season. Psalm for this evening is Psalm 42. As a deer pants for a flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mitzar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Old Testament reading is Genesis 32, verses 22 to 32. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the fort of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our epistle reading is 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 to 7. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, that as you receive from us how you ought to live and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, 
that no one transgressed and wronged his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Luke 5, verses 12 to 16. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. He, Jesus, would withdraw to desolate places and pray. You really have to ask yourself, why does the second person of the Trinity feel this compulsion to pray to the first person of the Trinity, or perhaps the third person of the Trinity? It's a great question. And I think we have to bear in mind the fact that Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself in that he put himself in a lower spot. He chose not to use all of his divine attributes while he was a person here, true God, true man. When he takes on human flesh, he humbles himself. And part of being a humble person is you acknowledge someone above you. Now, of course, the persons of the Godhead are co-equal, co-eternal, co-majestic, all those things. And yet when Jesus humbles himself and becomes obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, when he humbles himself, he comes to do his Father's will. Not that he's in disagreement with the Father's will, that's not the point. But he comes to do the Father's will. He makes himself subservient, as it were, to the Father. And part of humility is acknowledging the one above you, as it were, in this hierarchy. Jesus places himself in this subservient position. He comes not to minister, not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for many. He comes as a servant. And as one who is humble, he seeks the Father's guidance. He seeks the Father's direction. He seeks the Father's approval. And of course, all of which he has. He has. But he withdraw to desolate places and pray. This God-man, Jesus, this humble servant, prays. Praise. In Mark 1, starting at verse 29, we read, And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. 
And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Think about this. The whole city's gathered at the door. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. You'd think that he would have been a bit tired and maybe would have wanted to sleep in. Yet, rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. This humble servant, this God-man, our Savior Jesus, gets up early to go and pray. And after feeding the 5,000 in Matthew 14, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. This was a habit that Jesus had, was going to a quiet place and talking to his heavenly Father. In Luke 6, in these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. He had a big decision to make on the morrow, so what does he do? He stays up all night and prays about it, seemingly, because that's what he did the next day. He chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. I have to be a little careful. You know, Jesus is the perfect example for our behavior. There's no, there's no better example you can find. Jesus is the, the example par excellence. He's the perfect example. But we have to bear in mind the fact that he is much more than an example. First off, he's an example that we can, we can never emulate perfectly. And, and second, we have to understand that his main purpose is coming was not to be an example, but to give his life as a ransom for the many. But he is still the perfect example. So here, on the morrow, when he chooses the twelve, he had spent the whole night beforehand in prayer. It's a great example for us that when we have big things facing us on the next day, that we spend time in prayer. And Jesus goes off by himself and prays. Earnest, heartfelt conversation with his loving Heavenly Father. Fruitful conversation with his loving Heavenly Father. He prays. In Matthew 19, Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. He lays his hands on these little children, and he prays for them. Of course, the other gospel refers to it, he blesses them. Well, I think Jesus laying his hand on you and praying for you, that's a pretty good blessing. That's a great blessing. He prays for the children. Another great example for us to pray for those who are vulnerable, to pray for those who are weaker, for, to pray for those who are dependent on the goodwill of others for their very existence and survival, to pray for them. And of course, the great high priestly prayer, John 17, Jesus Praise to his Father.
in verse 9. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. He's praying for his disciples. He's praying for his followers. He's praying that they would be protected. He's praying that they would do their job properly. He's asking his Heavenly Father to bless their work because it's a concern of his. And so he prays to his Father about that. And in John 17, verse 11, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Holy Father, keep them in your name. Because if you have the name of God, well, then you have God. When we're baptized, we're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When we're in God's name, it means that we, we can talk to God in prayer. It means that we are God's children. We bear the name Christian. That I-A-N is a diminutive. It means little Christ. We are in God's name. We're in his family. He's adopted us. He's called us. And in verse 15 of John 17, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus earnestly praying to his father for the protection of his followers. He doesn't want to translate them immediately into glory because there's work to do. But he also wants them protected from the evil one. He wants their word to go out. And of course, what adorns our wonderful church up above, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth from verse 17 of John 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. He prays to his heavenly father that those who hear his word, God's word, would be set apart, would be declared holy, would be kept for eternity in that truthful word that comes from God. And in John 17, verses 20 and 21, Jesus prays for those who hear the word of the apostles. He says, he prays, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Did you catch that? I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, through the apostles' word, through his disciples' word. He's praying for us. We are ones who have come to believe in Jesus through this word handed down to the generations which the apostles wrote, which the evangelists wrote. He prays for us that we may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. We have a oneness. Our oneness is bigger than any denominational type of boundaries. If we are children of God, we are children of God. If we believe in Jesus, we are Christian. That's a oneness we have with all Christian people all around the world those who look to Jesus in faith for the forgiveness of sins, they are of one body, the holy Christian and apostolic church. People work hard to bring about oneness within Christendom. What, what they 
fail to realize is that we have a oneness within Christendom. All who have faith in Jesus are part of the body of Jesus. That's the oneness. That oneness cannot be obtained by denominational affiliation or some institutional loyalty or some organizational pie chart. That oneness that we have in the Father comes because we all look to the Son. And so he prays, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. There's a purpose to our oneness in respect to the, the image that's put out to the world. We are one in the body of Christ. We don't always act like it. We don't always show it off so well. But that's the reality. And in Luke 22, as Jesus faces death, he prays, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He faces death and he prays. And he prays to his father and says, what you will. This isn't pleasant what's coming up. It's not going to be at all good. Except, of course, we know that the greatest good comes out of that, the death of Jesus, who submits himself to the Father's will. We all know the story of the transfiguration, Luke 9. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. He's going to pray. There's a lot to pray for. Jesus knows that. And in Luke 11, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And of course, he then gives his followers the wonderful prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer. So here's this great example of Jesus, who is sinless, who is God in the flesh, who has a perfect relationship with his Heavenly Father, and he devotes time to pray. He takes the time to pray. Now what about us, beset with all of our sins and all of our illnesses and all our diseases and all of our problems? We too would do well to get away to pray. In Luke 18, and he, that is Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cried to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Knock on God's door. Bother him. Be an annoyance. Be the squeaky wheel. Don't give up. 
If it's important to you, it's important to God. There's another great lesson to be learned here. One that I think we see so well in John 17 that Jesus prayed for others. Jesus prayed for others. In Hebrews chapter 7 we read, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Ah, Jesus, the ever-living one, makes intercession for us at our Heavenly Father's throne of grace. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, so says Jesus. So as we draw near to God through Jesus, he saves us because he makes intercession for us. He's still praying for us, even though he's no longer walking this earth the way he did before his ascension. That doesn't mean he's gone. And he knows your needs. He knows, he knows that you need forgiveness. That's why he died. And that's why he continues to pray for you and for me. There's something else for which we are encouraged to pray by Jesus in Matthew chapter 9. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are a few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Something else for which we can all pray as we consider those who are sick, those who are vulnerable, those who are weak, those who are in trouble, those who are living in war-torn places, those who are suffering the ravages of earthquake and hurricane and tornado and what else, we can also pray to God that he would send out people to continue to proclaim this great good news God and sinners reconciled through the shed blood of Jesus. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Because what God wants is for people to know him through Jesus and to have that forgiveness that Jesus won for all people of all time. That's the earnest desire of our loving Heavenly Father. And that, of course, was what he and our beloved Savior Jesus must have spoken about in these times of prayer when Jesus would get away to pray. His mission, dying for the sins of the world. His goal, that you be in heaven with him for time and eternity. That's what he was all about. And today, that's what Christian people need to be all about. Sharing the good news of Jesus, his shed blood that reconciles us to the Heavenly Father. His shed blood that gives us eternity.